airing the Addisons. Well, let me say this as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B is over in Studio CC. Hey, Sherry, how are you? Great. Good. Love that beautiful wave. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> we are um, still counting down and ticking down the days to uh, the celebration of the birth of our Lord. Uh, Jesus Christ, and and we've been talking at least the beginning of this week, which was yesterday. Uh, (laughs) Seems like only yesterday we were starting this work week. But uh, we've been talking about keeping Christ in Christmas and Mm -hmm. how do we make sure that people understand what we're in this for. And, you know, I want to say something about yesterday because we we had a a note or maybe a comment on our social media page Mm -hmm. where I understand this. And, you know, someone said, well, you know, I'm sorry to break it to you, but um, celebrating Christmas is a pagan holiday. You know, and they said, I don't know why, you know, I'm sorry to say this to you guys. And I understand that, you know, I put this in the category and I hate to sound like, you know, um, kind of like it's convenient, Mm -hmm. but I really do put this in the category of Romans 14, Mm -hmm. that if this as a celebration and remembering the birth of Jesus Christ, if you find this offensive, I understand, I, I understand that. Then I think for those people, then there's no condemnation, then you don't celebrate, you know? But I think for Christians who find this as um, a convenient and traditional time to remember the Mm. fact that um, God came to live and dwell among us. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is, this is the time to do it. Right. And so what we're trying to do is to encourage believers to take a stand for the significance of this holiday that we celebrate, not to just allow it to be commercialized and certainly not to allow our culture to overrun it yeah. And make it just something yeah. that, you know, all we do is give out presents. Exactly. And then you've got people saying things about we're going to have a holiday tree lighting. What is that? What is that? <laughs> I mean, what what holiday are we celebrating? Right. You know, so for the Christian, this is why I say and will continue to say we have to take the lead in this. We have to be salt and light. And so anyway, we're going to talk about something that we've been doing for a number of years. And that is finding a creative way for you to remind everybody that you come in contact with that Jesus. And I'm about to again. I'm so cutting edge. People, the reason for the season? Oh, how did you know I was going <laughs> to say that? That's new. I've this never been written ever before anywhere, never on a church marquee ever. Anyway, I was just going to say, just to help you remind people that Jesus is the reason for the season. So we're going to talk about the AFA Christmas button. And we're joined in studio by a special guest to share with us some encouragement and what has been his experience for years in wearing and sharing the AFA Christmas button because you think that you're just making a statement, but actually the Lord opens doors when we are bold and when we're unashamed of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So right now, let's talk to Pastor Jerry Lawson, who is the pastor of Enon Presbyterian Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. And you have participated uh, in our Wareham Sherem campaigns for years, but the Lord has done some amazing things through the wearing and the sharing of the AFA Christmas button. And I'm hoping that you'll share that with our listeners today. Well, uh, I'll be happy to, but uh, the other day, prior to Thanksgiving, I was 
told by a person, Brother Lawson, you you need to call it Alternate Food Day in the future. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm traditional. Uh, I will call it Thanksgiving. And I <laughs> extend to you the courtesy to call it whatever you want to. Uh-huh. But it'll be Thanksgiving with That's me. That's good. I like it. <laughs> the Christmas buttons... Uh, it's just an evangelistic tool that I found 15 years ago I could use and uh, just putting it on and all of a sudden in the community in which I live, and I live in a wonderful community, Ackerman, Mississippi, people would come up and start asking, where did you get the button? Uh, and then they'd ask me about my faith. Uh, well, that button, do you pastor a church here in town? Yes, and to those people that did not know me, it became an opportunity to share my congregation and I, the witness of the CP Church. Uh, and I, I knew immediately that the Lord had matched me up with these buttons because it was an opportunity for me to give something to someone else. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what the Christian life is about. Yeah. I mean, it mimics God, for God so loved that he gave. Amen. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think you can be a child of God and love and not be a giver. Mm-hmm. So tell me about some of the experiences that you've had. Like, I know that there are some ex- uh, specific encounters that you've had that really, I guess, would be in the category of divine appointments where you're talking to someone and you become aware that it's more than just giving them a button or helping them with their fashion, right, on their lapel, that it becomes a moment where there is an eternal deposit that is made. You never know when you go to give out a button what's going to be said to you. You never know what situation you're going to encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a situation several years ago uh, where I, I went to give a button to a lady that I could I could just sense. Her spirit identified with my spirit. She was hurting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I gave her that button. And uh, she looked at it and the tears just burst out of her eyes. And she said, do you think God really loves me? And I said, I know he does. What is your situation? Just up the road a few miles from our church was a single mother with three children, no gas or utilities or anything in the house, just Mm -hmm. living in a house. And uh, as soon as she expressed to me uh, her situation, I knew right then it was meant for me to help this lady out. Mm. And and we have a ministry in Choctaw County that's called Christian Way United. And uh, the people of the churches and community and business people, we receive money so that we can help people out in, in times of need. And uh, so I thought, well, the first thing we got to do is get some heat on it in that house. Wow. So uh, I went down to the local propane company. They had a brand-new... Uh, Radiant heater that had just been returned. People didn't want it. And I says, Brother Lawson, we'll just give it to you. <laughs> and, and so we got that. I had a, a person in town volunteer to go out and hook it up. We got a propane tank out there. And, I mean, that afternoon we had uh, heat in that house, got the electricity turned on. And I said, uh, don't, don't tell me God doesn't care for you. Mm, uh, so good. Look what he has done yes. here for wow. you. God knows that many people have heavy burdens in life. Christ came to give you rest. Amen. That's to share with you in the burdens that you have and to, to give you relief in life. And these buttons, you never know when you give a button to somebody what the response is going to be. Mm-hmm. But I've never had one person in 15 years say, I don't want that button or I don't believe in that. I've wow. never experienced that. 
So would your encouragement to maybe other pastors who are listening, and, and I would say other lay listeners as well, who are just, you know, we find it difficult to really start a conversation with people. I don't know if you've noticed, but our country has kind of grown hostile toward the gospel. There used to be a time where if you'd walk up and share with people about Jesus, you were sort of like a sight for sore eyes, and people wanted to hear the message that you brought, and it's not that way anymore. What encouragement do you have for some of our listeners who are like, how do we use this as an evangelistic tool, especially when our culture seems to be hostile to the gospel? Well, it's in how you approach people. Mm-hmm. I would tell a minister, if, if, if you're having a difficult time with your people witnessing or inviting people to church, give them some buttons and ask them to go and give it to a person in a conversation. Invite them to come to the special programs that are going on at your church this Christmas season. One of the, the special programs that we have at Enon, among many, uh, Christmas Eve uh, from 5 to 7, we have a come-and-go community service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we invite families to get together at Christmas. And I have so many families come and say, Brother Lawson, if it wasn't for this Christmas Eve communion service, we would not be able to commune together as a family each wow. year. And uh, go get people Christmas buttons and invite them to come to the services that we're having at the church. Uh, people will respond. When you think back to 15 years of doing this and and getting your congregation involved, when you first presented this idea, was it widely received? Did people have questions or, you know, what was the thought about it? And how do you look back on it now? Is your church just this, they expect to do this every year that we're all going to be participating in this? Well, that first year, I guess I was (laughs) challenged to give away 500 buttons. This year we've given away... I don't know how many bucks of 500 buttons Buddy has given uh, to me, but uh, the people at the nursing home, mm. the hospital, the grocery stores, uh, different uh, businesses in town, the courthouse, city hall, now they expect Christmas <laughs> buttons. They wear them for the month. Yeah. And, uh I would think probably in Choctaw County, if you look at a percentage of the people, we probably have a higher percentage of people wearing these AFA Christmas buttons than you'll find in any other county or or state in the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm proud Mm -hmm. of that fact. Yeah, that's wonderful. (laughs) It's one of those things where when you're out and about, there is an immediate identifier. Like you see a person wearing that button, and it's almost like you guys have something in common that you know, you know right off the bat that we understand the reason that we are celebrating this season. So thank you so much for that, Pastor Lawson. We appreciate you sharing that, and we appreciate that encouragement. I want to remind our listeners that they can go to afastore.net and get the AFA Christmas button in packs of 10, and today there is 15% off your order. You don't need any special code or anything like that. 15% is automatically taken off your order. So packs of 10, do you think you'll run out of 10 quickly, Pastor Lawson? Like. I understand I'm going to pick up another 500 buttons a day to pass out. So uh, I'm just, I'm I'm, I'm blessed. And uh, I've always said, you can't win it if your heart's not in it. Mm -hmm. And my heart's in passing out these buttons and trying to put a smile on somebody else's face and make Christmas just a little bit brighter for somebody else. That's wonderful. Pastor Lawson, I want to ask you to do something before we go to the break, and I, I didn't say that I would ask you to do this, but I just I just want to. I would like to ask you to pray for some of our listeners who are listening. Um, they are the evangelists. They are the people who are out there with their feet on the pavement, 
sharing the love of Jesus Christ. And, and this becomes that moment where they are contemplating maybe even the buttons as a tool, but also sometimes they're weary. Uh, you know, they get tired of being out there. Would you pray for their encouragement that the gospel and the message of why Jesus Christ came, that that will continue to go forth in our country? Sure, let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for the day and for the gift of life. And that life comes to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the greatest gift that was ever given. And Father, when we look at the number of people in this country who are suffering, we have so much wealth, but yet we have so much hurting mm. and depression. And, and Father, I just thank you for the opportunity, for the people that you lead me to. And we've been all given opportunities to serve you and, and to pray for opportunities to witness to others. Remember what John said in John chapter 1, verse 4. The life becomes the light, not just to the world, but the light of Jesus Christ. It's, it's what that illumination within you does to inspire you to glorify God. And that's what we're on this earth to do. So, Father, I just pray for those that are hurting out there. If you have never received the gift of God, Jesus Christ, get down by the side of your bed tonight before you pillow your head and invite Jesus into your heart. and Pick up the Word of God and start reading it. Even though I don't understand so much of it, what I do understand, I'm going to go and live and see if living that doesn't become the inspiration to draw closer and closer each day to the Lord. Father, thank you for this ministry and for these in this studio this day that uh, have given me such an opportunity to share my faith with others. I ask your special blessings upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have Amen. a Merry Christmas. Amen. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. It's amazing because even now, you know, we say Merry Christmas. You look over your shoulder to make sure people are not <laughs> upset with you that you said you can pray. But don't say Merry Christmas and right. don't pray in Jesus' name. That's where we are in our country. So crazy. Christians have got to be the salt and the light that Pastor Amen. Lawson was just praying about. So, Amen. all right, let's grab the break. Again, just want to remind you, you can get a pack of 10 Christmas buttons when you go to afastore.net, afastore.net, 15% off, and you will get those in time to wear them this month and uh, be unashamed. Or you can call 877-927-4917. That's 877-927. 927-4917. We're going to grab the break. When we come back, we are talking with Dr. Michael Heiser, and we're going to be talking all about angels, all mm. about angels. All right, Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. He put that Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We certainly do appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that is Unspoken with Reason. Pastor Lawson said before he uh, left the studio, he said, I don't know why so many people are so concerned all the time with what other people will think. Yeah. You know, is, am I doing this? Yeah, it sounded like you were kind of low. 
How's that? Ah, Is that better? It. I'm sorry. That was me. Okay. <laughs> got it. All right. Got it all worked out. Okay. No, so Pastor Lawson said, Pastor Lawson said, I don't know why people are always so concerned about what people will think. You know, we we're talking ah, about how yeah. people are triggered when you say, yeah, Merry Christmas. And you mentioned Christ and how Christians are always trying to be accommodating and things like that. So, yeah. but it exists. It it's does. A thing. Um, we, sh we should have the boldness that was promised, right? If the Amen. Holy Spirit indwells us, which I mean, is factual when you come to Christ, Amen. then there should be boldness, which accompanies that. That's right. Right. So anyway, okay. Now I'm, I'm excited about this. I've been looking forward to this. One of my favorite passages in scripture dealing with angels. And I remember, um, being really geeked up and talking to the kids about this. Mm -hmm. It is in the gospel of Luke where the angel Gabriel goes to Zechariah. And remember, he's telling Zechariah what's going to happen. And Zechariah has some questions like he doesn't like he doubts, you know, and the angel Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife and I, we're advanced in years. We don't know how what you're saying is going <laughs> to listen. <laughs> I stand in the presence of God. I was sent here to tell you, like, can you imagine? So nah, no. today we are <laughs> going to talk to Dr. Michael Heiser and we're going to talk about his book angels and as is our custom we have a copy of this book to give away let me just tell you right off the bat will i don't know how many questions you have but you're not going to get to any of your questions oh i have just one you but one. i'm sorry man just one i'm so question. sorry because I i've i've got about eight or nine man so let me get I, right into it all right because we don't have time for you i just questions. have one we don't have time for your question. <laughs> you know what I you know what a, you know what a wonderful wife would say? A wonderful wife would say, "Well, dear, you go first. <laughs> no, my question is no, gonna, no, no, it's, it's, it's going to flow in the conversation, I think. Don't you try to ask your question on the flick right now. <laughs> a scholar in the fields of biblical studies and the ancient Near East. Dr. Michael Heiser is a scholar in residence at Faith Life Corporation. You guys know these guys because they make the Logos Bible software, ah, right? Uh -huh. I tell you all of that so that you understand we're not, this is not a rinky-dink discussion on angels. Oh. This is not going to be a Hollywood version discussion on angels. This is digging it's in. It's not Hollywood heaven? No. Oh, okay. We could ask some questions about touched by an <laughs> angel and find out how accurate they were. <laughs> but we're not going to be talking about okay. that. We're going right. to really be digging in to find out what the Bible says about uh, angels. Anyways, uh, Dr. Heiser studied at Dallas Theological Seminary. He has a master's degree in ancient history from the University of Pennsylvania, a master's in Hebrew studies, and a PhD in Hebrew Bible and Semitic languages. Oh, never mind. You asked your question. In other words, <laughs> I'll keep mine. <laughs> in, in other words, we're really not worthy to talk to Dr. Heiser. I don't know. He's probably like, how did you guys get me paired up with these two? <laughs> Dr. Heiser, thank you so much for carving some time out your very busy and important schedule to talk to the Addisons. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me on. All right. Well, um, I feel like I could ask you questions, but I feel like <laughs> <laughs> with your bio, you probably know the questions we're going to ask. No, I'm kidding. Well, I, I, already know, <laughs> I, I already know from listening to your introduction who's not going to be asking me questions. <laughs> <laughs> it, it says here in Dr. Heiser's bio that he's also trained in biblical counseling. <laughs> with a special emphasis on marriage. Anyways, no, it's it's great. Thank you so much for writing this book and thank you for joining us to talk about it because as we near the celebration of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, of course, I've got a question that could start the discussion. We could go to the heavenly hosts that are with the shepherds out in the field and talk mm -hmm. about that. But I want to kind of go back and then work our way to the New Testament. And so if I could, let me just start with this question. How is your study of angels different from some of the popular notions of 
what we describe as the unseen realm and, and why is the way that you are laying this out in your book uh, important to our really grasping and understanding angels and, and who they are? Well, this is going to sound a little odd, but the basic difference is that my angels book just tracks only and deeply into the biblical text. Mm. And I know how that sounds. It's, well, all these other books don't don't care about the Bible. No, that, <laughs> see, that's quite an overstatement. But typically what happens is books on angels will either traffic in Christian tradition or experiences, you know, something, you know, all, all the above, I guess, mm-hmm. there. Um, I don't really do either. I, I try to, again, root the discussion of angels uh Again, in the biblical text, specifically, there's a lot of things going on in the original text that we often miss. One quick example, there, there are actually a number of terms uh, used for members of the heavenly host in the Old Testament that we never really see, because, again, we're reading the Bible in English, and we tend to sort of just conflate everything into one category, angel, which is actually a job description. Okay. It doesn't really tell you what a thing is. It tells you a, a task that a member of the heavenly host does. Oh, wow. But there are lots of other terms that, again, we, we typically don't think about uh, members of the heavenly host in any other way other than that one term. So that's a sort of a fundamental, hmm. uh, an illustration that you know gives you the fundamental difference. Okay, no, that's, I'm sorry, forgive my pause. I was just fascinated by that because I would, I would be the person that you just described. I'd be in the category of angels, angels. as sort of like the blanket right. description of the heavenly host, not realizing that that is a job description. Where are angels first introduced to us in the scriptures? Like where do we first encounter um, the fact that there are these heavenly hosts? You, you, you don't realize what a loaded question that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, it is a loaded question, so I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll shoot straight with you. Uh, my answer to that is Genesis 1, 26, and 27. Okay. There is a reason why we get plural language in that. Let us create humankind in or as our image. And then in verse 27, God alone proceeds to create human beings. Typically in Christian tradition, the, the plurals there, well, that's the Trinity. Well, there's a problem with that. Because if you're dealing with members of the Trinity there, why does God have to announce something? Shouldn't they already know? Um, hmm. So you have, you know, you have a problem with the attributes of God if members of the Trinity are co-eternal and co-equal, co-omniscient. It's, a, it's a, at least a little bit odd that God has to tell them that he's intending to do something. So I, I, I'm in the camp, and I'm not alone here by any means, the way scholars approach this, that God is speaking to the members of his heavenly hosts, that he intends to, you know, I have a spiritual family, it's you guys, the sons of God, Job 38, that were there before the foundations of the earth were laid. And now I'm going to create a new family, a different family, one that's embodied. We're going to call them Adam, humankind, and I'm going to create a world in which they can live, and I'm going to go to them because they can't come to me. And I'm going to live among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's a familiar Old Testament refrain that I believe actually starts in Genesis 1.26. And the reason we have plurals is, just as you 
again, they are images of God. God is their creator. They image, they represent him. They are his proxies, his partners in governing the spiritual world. So these humans that we're going to create are also going to be my children, and they're going to image me here. They're going to be my partners, my assistants in governing and enjoying a new kind of creation. So that's where I would put the first you know, instance of the heavenly host, if we go through Genesis to Revelation. If you want to go chronologically, it's Job 38, before the foundations of the earth were laid. Okay, so now let me just restate what I just heard you say, because I, as you might imagine, that is revolutionary for a lot of people, as I could tell yeah. by the way you communicated I, it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm used to people looking at me like I've got two heads, so there's no problem. <laughs> I, wish, I wish you could see Will's face. As you were talking, he was going, his, his face said, hmm, kinda, but of course he didn't say that out loud because yeah, he's kinda, not like me. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> very normal. It's, yeah, right? That's so, very normal. Um, so, so what you are suggesting here, um, based on your research and your study of, of the scriptures, and languages and meaning, you are suggesting that the triune God does not need to announce to the members of the Trinity that we are going to make man. You're saying that this announcement is to the heavenly host. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so then you are likewise saying maybe, and I'm going to phrase this, let me do it. Let me do it this way. So then are you also saying that there is a role that the heavenly hosts play in this scene? And because if, if, if God is saying, let us, if Elohim is saying, mm-hmm. let us, and you're mm-hmm. saying that he is announcing that to the heavenly hosts, it would imply that it is something that they are also doing. Let us make man in our image. It, it it would it would if the if the passage ended with verse twenty six, but it doesn't. It goes on to verse twenty seven, and so when humanity is actually created, and by the way, in every text in the Bible where humans are created, where God is the subject, it is always singular. Okay, in, in verse twenty seven, God is the lone creator. He creates hmm. he creates them as his singular pronouns, you know, imagers. So the, the question is, well, why, why do the plurals anyway? It, it's, it's what academics call a plural of exhortation. Let me illustrate it. If I walk into a room of students and say, hey, let's go get pizza. Okay, let us get pizza. But I'm the one who, you know, offers the vehicle. They all fit in my car. I pay. I, I pick the pizza. But they're allowed to, you know, participate by eating it. I'm the lone agent that makes this happen, but I have brought them into, you know, the circle of knowledge, so to speak, what I want to do. And that's what happens because I get it done. And they are, you know, the participants with me in in some sense, but not in other senses. And that's what you have going on here. People don't realize that, that what we loosely call angelology is actually a template for lots of other things. The, the heavenly host, those who are loyal to the God of the Bible, are a template for God's human family. In other words, how God talks about them, uh, how he perceives them, is often a counterpart in Scripture to how God thinks about his human family as well. And, and this, this runs through Scripture in some really interesting ways. I don't want to get too rabbit-trailed for, 
I mean, I, I, I'm willing to rabbit trail away from Christmas. <laughs> I can go anywhere with this because this is, this is my bread and butter. I, I enjoy it a lot. It's fascinating. But I'll give you one example. Uh-huh. The phrase, sons of God, mm-hmm. okay, in the Old Testament, and also the phrase, holy ones, kedoshim in Hebrew. In the Old Testament, those terms are used either 99 or 100 percent for members of the heavenly host. But in the New Testament, they are used of human believers exclusively. That mm. that change actually telegraphs something theologically. It telegraphs the idea of family, you know, human inclusion. That humans were were, were created fit for sacred space. They, wow. We were created initially in Genesis to dwell in the presence of God. He brought up Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Yeah. That's where we should be. That's where we were destined to be at the beginning. This is what God wanted. He wanted a family, and he wanted partners. And and that language, family and partnership language, are used throughout both Testaments of heavenly hosts and human believers, those who are loyal to God. But in some cases, the terminology actually shifts completely in the New Testament, to human believers, to telegraph the message, because the Bible ends with the global evil. That's not an accident. God gets his way. He works the plan despite the fall. Mm. God will have his way wow. in the end. Yeah. And and there's, there's a reason why we get these, these little shifts in, in, in terminology, but there, there are just any number of trajectories that become really interesting. Uh, we, get, we, don't, we lose this in the New Testament, I'll tell you why, because you don't see holy ones in English Bibles. You see saints. And I just hate that English translation because you lose the connection. Hagioi, Greek, it means holy ones, but it gets translated saints all the time. Wow. Wow. So, this is hmm. fascinating. And I, I got to tell you, Dr. Heiser, I'm so huh. I know we're going to run out of time. Our, our brains, I can see my husband, his well, brain is racing. Go I'm ahead. thinking about, you know, made and let us make man in our, in our image. So, so are we saying that? Uh, that's pertaining to angels. Uh oh, that's <laughs> pertaining to what? To angels, like that. What the whole image made in the image, uh, in our image and likeness, and we w- <laughs> we would commonly believe that that is talking about you know we're the imago day, right? The Im- in- made yeah, and, that's, and that and you're correct. That's that's what it is. But the the fundamental issue with understanding the image of God is we are typically taught in church that the image of God is a quality sort of put into humans. Mm -hmm. And that really is, that's quite problematic for a number of reasons. Ethically is is probably the most easy to see, because if, if we have a quality, and all qualities that are on the grocery list here, reason, rationality, emotions, the ability Mm -hmm. to speak, the ability to pray, you know, all those things are linked to brain activity. Well, if the contents of, the, of a woman's womb prior to a functioning brain, if that's what the image is, then life isn't sacred until you got a brain. Hmm. You know, there's a deep ethical problem there. Even soul, spirit, the, the biblical Hebrew words for soul, nephesh, spirit, ruach, are used of animals. In Genesis, so that, that, even that is not what makes humans unique. What, what the image really is, is it's a status. We are created as God's imagers. Let me illustrate. And it all depends on how we use the little word in the preposition. If I say, put the dishes in the sink, in denotes location. If I say, I wrote the letter in pencil, in denotes some instrument. If I say, mm. I worked 
in medicine. Dr. Heiser, I let me let me in jump in. I'm it's a function. Let me grab this break. This is Aaron the Addison's uh, American Family Radio. This is fascinating. We're going to be right back with more from Dr. Heiser. So stay close. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Let me do this. We've got a copy of Dr. Heiser's book, Angels, to give away. And so I want to just do that right now and get that all out of the way um, because we're only about a question and a half in. <laughs> right. Really, if you break it down into subtopics, it's really one question. Will I blame you. No, it's not my fault. Well, I blame Dr. Heiser for you just asked the question knowing about too much on this topic. <laughs> Where the angels first appear in the Bible. Let me say this to our family <laughs> listening. Listen, family, this is what Will asked me during the break. He said, did you know Dr. Heiser was going to give that answer when you asked that question? <laughs> of course I didn't know that. <laughs> I don't study Semitic languages. I don't. Of course I didn't know he was going to get. I thought he was going to tell me the first time we encounter an angel in the Old Testament. <laughs> And he's like, that's what I did. Right. I know. <laughs> All right. Look, if you want to get a copy of the book, 888-589-8840, caller number 10. I've got one copy to give away. Sherry B is going to take caller number 10. And if you are that caller, you get a copy of the book Angels written by Dr. Michael Heiser. And we're talking to Dr. Heiser today. And and Will and I, during the break, are trying to make sure that we understand each other. Yeah. So the question I was I was getting to, and I think Dr. Heiser was uh, explaining, was... Uh, are angels made in the image of God? I guess that's the, the question I was going to ask, you know, because I always mm -hmm. would think that, you know, there's a difference between angels and man in that we are image bearers, that angels were something of a different nature. Um, so I think you were trying to explain the word in is different yeah. than yeah. how we think about it. Yeah, the, 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 the short answer is yes, angels are also created in or as God's images. I was getting in, you know, into how we understand the image. The image is not a thing put in us, a quality. Mm -hmm. It's a status. We are God's representatives. Mm -hmm. So, again, if I work in medicine, it means I work as a doctor or a nurse or a PA or an LPN or something mm -hmm. like that. It, it describes a function or a role. And so the, the, the reason why we get this plural language used of both the heavenly host and humans is because we both have the same creator, that's God, the God of the Bible. He is the lone creator in, in biblical you know, theology. And they represent him in their realm, and we represent God in ours. And it's a, it describes a partnership. The heavenly host actually does participate with God in doing things, which mm. is something else we, we don't realize. 1 Kings 22.19, members of the heavenly host decide how, you know, they have a meeting. First, first Kings twenty two nineteen through twenty three. You know the question is, okay, God has decreed it's time for Ahab to go finally. So how how's he going to die? Wow! And it, it says one spirit said one thing, another mm -hmm. said another, and then a, a spirit steps forward. I got an idea, and God says, yeah, that'll work. You know, because I know Ahab, and he's going to fall for that. Wow! You know, mm -hmm. in Daniel four, the watchers, a watcher, a holy one, again, member of the heavenly host shows up and tells Nebuchadnezzar, you know, you're going to go crazy for a while and eat grass. I hope you like that. <laughs> because of your pride, your hubris. And it says in Daniel 4, right around verse 20, it says, this is by decree of the watchers, plural. And then three verses later, it says, this is by decree of the Most High. So again, there, there's this symbiotic relationship. It's not that 
any member of the heavenly host has autonomy. They don't. God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. But they do. They are allowed to participate, just like the Church is. I mean, God doesn't need helpers. He doesn't need another phrase that Scripture uses is a, is a council or an assembly. Mm-hmm. Daniel 7, a court. He doesn't need these things, but he uses them. Just like he uses the Church, he lets us participate with him in his plan of salvation. It's called the Great Commission. Mm, that's good. I mean, yeah. God doesn't need any of it. He mm-hmm. doesn't need anything. Yeah. But this is God's pattern. He likes to have children, and he likes partners. And this is why, again, you get this template sort of relationship between the, the heavenly host and God's you know, family of, of the redeemed. Okay, let me do this because I've, I've, I've got like seven more questions, Will the Great. That, well, that, I hope you used it. No, because, I haven't Here seen. we go. So here's my <laughs> note. Just jump, in, just jump in whenever you want. Um, but you, so you mentioned the sons of God in the Old Testament. Can we talk mm-hmm. about Genesis 6, Dr. Heiser? I mean, this is probably one of those passages sure. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men of, of, <laughs> of men were attractive, mm-hmm. and they took them as their wives. Who are we talking about? What happened? Who were the Nephilim, if I'm even saying that correctly? Yeah. And why weren't they completely done away with in the flood? If we understand the flood to wipe out mm-hmm. all of the old world, only eight saved out of that, then who's Goliath's parents? Like, mm-hmm. just help me understand all of that. Oh, you're- yeah. Yeah, you, 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 you've just run down a list of topics that no one talks about in church. So right. Congratulations. <laughs> That's what I'm here to do. I mean, the, the, uh, your, for you and your audience, the, the detailed answer to this, you, you should read my book, The Unseen Realm. Okay. okay I spend five chapters just on this, this topic. Wow. The short version is the sons of God. I agree with Peter and Jude in the New Testament. I believe these are heavenly beings because Peter and Jude reference this episode, and they they talk about the angels, plural, that sinned. There is no other episode in the entire Old Testament or the entire Bible where a group of angels sins. You say, what about a third of the angels that fell with Satan? Guess what? There isn't a single verse in the Bible that says that. Zero. The only time you get the word third and angel in the same sentence anywhere in the Bible is the last book of the Bible, Revelation 12. Mm -hmm. And there the war in heaven is over the birth of the Messiah. Again, that's a good example of a Christian myth that that is handed down like it's doctrine to us. It's nowhere in Scripture. Hmm. But Peter and Jude take Genesis 6 at face value. The, The sons of God everywhere else in the Old Testament are heavenly beings. Same thing in Genesis 6. It's the only thing that sort of explains why you get Nephilim. You ask, why do we have the mass of the flood? There's actually three uh, ways to approach that answer. One is, and these are all ancient, too. They're not just modern. I mean, people in the ancient world were, were asking the same questions. One was that you know Noah or, or some member of his family was, was part of this problem. Another one is that the flood wasn't global, but it was regional or local. And the third is the grammar of Genesis 6-4. You can legitimately translate it, that there were Nephilim on the earth in those days and also after, whenever the sons of God came into the daughters of men. I mean, you, you can do that grammatically. So that's a really, really quick you know, and dirty you know, version, because we get the Nephilim later in Numbers 13, mm-hmm. where the Anakim are said to be there. They're giants, Deuteronomy 2 and 3, Amos chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Numbers 13, you know, 30, 32 and 33, it's all there. Um, they are said to come from the Nephilim. And, you know, yeah, that's what the text says. Okay. 
Okay, no, this is, I mean, this is absolutely fascinating. So let me ask a question. I hate to keep doubling back because I have all these other really great questions that I want to get to. <laughs> so so you, you talk about um, when we discuss angels that there are Christian myths that are passed down as if it's doctrine. And this idea that a third of the angels fell from heaven. So, and I know this is so, so far. Where do we, so where do we get demons? So <laughs> where are demons coming from, Dr. Heiser? You know exactly where um, I'm going with this. Yeah. And, yeah, and Again, I, I'm not sure you know how loaded that <laughs> The last time you said that, we were in trouble. Well, that's the show, folks. But, but let, me, let me tell you, there's somebody right now in Texas going, no, let them talk about the demons, because I want to hear where the demons come from, girl. Yeah. So go ahead, Dr. Heiser. Well, just quickly. Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll approach it this way. Again, we, again, in Christian tradition, says white hat angels, black hat demons. And that's as far as it goes. That is so oversimplified and in, in some cases inaccurate that, that it prompted me to actually write the book Angels, and there's a, there's a book of demons coming down the pipeline, too. And Unseen Realm gets into this a lot as well. If you ask, I'll, I'll approach it this way, if you ask the average Christian, why is the world such a mess? You know, why do we have evil and sin? The answer is, no, Genesis 3 is a fall. If you ask the, an Israelite that question, or a first century Jew, that is not the answer you would get. The answer you would get is, well, there's actually three reasons why the world is such a mess. The fall started it, but Genesis 6, you know, that, that's number two, that's, that's a rebellion, and what happened at Babel is also, you know, an instance of rebellion, both human and supernatural. So there's really three reasons. And in between, you know, you get this this incident with the Genesis 6, the sons of God, all, this is going to, this freaks people out, but all ancient Jewish traditions, and they get this idea from little data points in the Old Testament, all of them have demons, what we know as demons in the Gospels, coming from, they are the disembodied spirits of dead Nephilim. Every one of them. Dead Sea Scrolls, all of them. So where in the world do they get that? Well, they get it from passages like Ezekiel 32 and Isaiah 14, where you had you have Rephaim, that's one of the words for the giants, in Sheol, in the underworld, what we would call hell. That's that's the the, the, the kernel, the seed thought. And there are other things, again, all the details you can read on Seen Realm and some of these other books. But that is where demons come from. They are not the same as the principalities and powers of Paul. That goes back to what happened at Babel. We know the Tower of Babel story. Where's this in the Tower of Babel story? Well, in Genesis 11, 1 through 9, you won't see it. If you read Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9, you will. Because, again, it's, it's, you, you got to use the NLC, the ESV, NRSV. Any translation that uses the Dead Sea Scrolls for Deuteronomy 32, 8 will read this. When the Most High, you know who that is, divided up the nations. We know when that happened at Babel. When he fixed their boundaries, he divided them up according to the number of the sons of God. Okay? Other translations say sons of Israel. But the Dead Sea Scrolls, and you know, modern translations that read the Dead Sea Scrolls, say sons of God. What happened was God divorces humanity. He rejects humanity at Babel. Because we've had the fall, we've had the Genesis 6 thing, we had a flood. Still the problem is it takes care of, you're still not listening to me. He divorces humanity and says, fine, if you don't want me to be your God, this is the Romans 1 event of the Old Testament. I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to assign and allot you. Deuteronomy 4.19.20 uses that language of the same episode. I'm going to assign and allot you to lesser members of the heavenly host. And we'll see how that goes. 
This is why you get gods over other nations. Up to Babel, everybody recognizes the same God, the one true God. Afterwards, you get, you know, you get Abraham, his, his, his parents are idolaters. Where, how does that happen? It happens because of what happened at Babel. Psalm 82 has God judging the Elohim over the nations for being corrupt. They turn the hearts of the Israelites in Deuteronomy 32, you know, away from Yahweh and toward them. They accept worship when they shouldn't. They sow chaos among the nations in Psalm 82. This is a, this is a picture of evil, permeative evil, that you never hear of in church. Mm. Okay? Yeah. And, and those, wow. those, fallen, those fallen Elohim, fallen sons of God, that, that become corrupt, that were assigned at Babel, they become corrupt, those are where we get the princes in Daniel 10, Prince of Persia, Prince of Greece, supernatural mm. entities over nations, and that's where the principalities and powers come from. It's a different group than the ones in Genesis 6. So it, this is where you get the pervasive problem of depravity, estrangement from God, the, the whole Gentile thing, you know, idolatry, self-destruction. It all comes from these three incidents. And when Paul, when Paul's preaching to Gentiles, they have the same, you can read this in Plato, they have the same view as Deuteronomy 32.8, in their own writing. Paul goes into a Gentile city and says, look, I get it, folks. You think you have to worship these gods because you're assigned to them. Well, that's sort of right, but the one who assigned them is the Most High, who just became a man and went to the cross, died and rose again for you. It is time to come back home. Mm. You know, wow. we miss the messaging of this because we, we lack the supernatural world of the biblical rights. We just lack it. Mm. So, uh, you know, again, it's not like you can't get the gospel. Obviously you can. You get lots of doctrine just from the cursory reading of the Bible, you know? But, but there are just things like this that really matter, that add a richness uh, to it, that, that make it come alive, that show connectivity between passages. Uh, this, this is what I do, and this is why I focus on the supernatural world, because this, it's, it's really important to have an ancient person, the Israelite or the first century Jew, living in your head when you read the Bible, because all the weird passages are there for a reason. Okay, let they me mean something, and they're important. Let me do this. I want to remind our listeners of the book that you mentioned, "The Unseen Realm: Recovering mm-hmm. the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible." That is another book. Um, that you authored, that you recommend, and then the book that we we're discussing—it has, has a thousand reviews on Amazon, and it's five stars. Wow! It has touched a nerve. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I, I got to tell you, it's fascinating, and I—I I have many more questions. We're not going to get to them, but there is one question that I really did want to get into um, before we wrap up, and we got about a minute and some change left. Mm-hmm. Um, describe to us what happens in Luke's account of the shepherds and the host of angels who join. I, I just think that this time of year um, is something fascinating mm-hmm. for us to explore. Can we do it in about a minute? Yeah. I mean, the, the reason the shepherds are frightened, okay, it's, this, is, this is something that happens every day, but the heavenly hosts are described as in the future, they're going to show up when? At the day of the Lord. The shepherds are seeing this, and if they know the Bible at all, they're thinking, this is the end of the world. But it's not. It's actually the beginning. And so the, the heavenly host, you know, sing, and then the one angel communicates with the shepherds that this is the time of your salvation, not the time of your destruction. 
And so it, it, it reverses the whole expectation of what's going on in the Incarnation. And it reflects the message of Jesus. He doesn't come the first time around as a conqueror, as a warrior. He comes as the Savior. Dr. Heiser. And, I... and he tells them from the get-go. We're out of time. I absolutely hate that we're out of time. We, we got to let Dr. Heiser go until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.